This morning, our scripture reading comes from 2 Timothy chapter 1. So if you um, have your Bibles and want to open them up, that's where we're going to be kind of anchored this morning. Uh, and obviously, you can follow on the screens behind me, in front of you. But, but if you do have your Bibles open, um, kind of keep them open because we're going to look at a couple verses outside of our, our focus text this morning as we spend some time in, in this uh, letter, New Testament letter. Uh, let me say again, uh, though, uh, just a, a word of, of gratitude and appreciation for the, for the love that, that you've shown. I did not know any of this was going on. I knew that stuff had been in the bulletin about pastor's appreciation. They sneak that stuff in, and I don't see it. And, uh, but the, bullet, the board's out here, and I don't know who did that. Um, but whoever is, thank you, because there were a lot worse pictures you could have chosen for that. And so I am, I am that you sent the bad ones and they didn't use them. They, they love me more than you do. So, um, but, uh, but thank you for all of this. I, it really was um, completely unexpected, um, but very much appreciated. I, I sometimes I say, I don't always know exactly how to respond uh, to this. I do get a little tongue-tied in, in those kind of situations but um, don't ever mistake my, um, um, maybe even a little bit of my uncomfortability with it all, uh, with a lack of, of deep gratitude for it, because I am very much gra- grateful. And I do say to you very sincerely, this is one of the statements, this is one, I'm going to make one of those statements that um, the cynic in you may be tempted to think, well, that's, that's what he's supposed to say. You know, that's, that's just what we, we, you know, he's saying what, what he's supposed to, but but know that what I'm about to say is 100% from the heart and 100% true. Uh, there is not another church in the Florida Conference of the United Methodist Conf- Church that I'd rather serve than this one. And I am thankful to be here as your pastor. I pray every year I leverage everything I can so that they pay no attention to me when it comes time for appointments. And, um, and so I'm, I'm thankful to be here. I joked, I joked a few weeks ago, I joked with some folks, uh, a couple weeks ago, I took the flood ba- ba- buckets that some of you made, uh, took them to Lakeland to, to drop them off for the big distribution and pickup uh, to go to the, the victims, the flood victims in Louisiana. And uh, when I dropped them off, the, the person spearheading that drive is Pam Carter. Pam Carter is the wife of our bishop in residence, Ken Carter. She's also an ordained a United Methodist pastor, and, and is active in ministry in so many ways. But I met her, it's the first time I met the bishop's wife uh, and had, had a short conversation with her. But that is one more conversation than I've ever had with a bishop. I have never actually met our bishop. He's been serving for four years. He's a great bishop. I love him dearly, thankful to have his leadership. But I'm also thankful that he has no idea who I am. And I'm okay, and I'm okay with that. I really, if I walked into his office right now, he'd have, well, he shouldn't be there right now. If I walked into his office tomorrow, he'd have no idea who I was, and I'm okay with that. I'm absolutely okay with that. In fact, kind of prefer it. So um, anyway, thank you, and I, I deeply appreciate it. Now let's uh, kind of transition. Let's, let's look at our scripture this morning, this portion of the letter from 2 Timothy, this letter to Timothy. I want you to hear these words, brothers and sisters. So do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or of me, his prisoner. Rather, join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. He has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. 
This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time, but it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who has destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. And of this gospel I was appointed a herald and an apostle and a teacher. That is why I am suffering as I am. Yet this is no cause for shame, because I know whom I have believed, and am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day. What you heard from me keep as a pattern of sound teaching, with faith and love in Christ Jesus. Guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. Brothers and sisters, we pray God's blessing here on the reading of his word. Let us pray. Lord, by your Holy Spirit, uh, may we receive your deposit, the treasure that you pour into us, the gift of your word, the gift of your Holy Spirit, and the call to obedience. Lord, may these moments be your moments. May our hearts be your heart. And may you work in us and through us according to your will and plan. We pray in Christ Jesus. Amen. So I don't know if you have um, caught yourself playing the new um, game that, that is available um, at any checkout counter, at any store or any grocery store, any, any, place, any place you use a credit card to pay for something. There is a new game that you can play, that I play every time, and it's called, Do I Slide the Card or Do I Insert the Card? Have you played this game? Where, where with these new credit cards that you may have gotten last year, many of us did, that have now chips embedded in them. And so you're supposed to slide the chip into the slot. But some places either don't have that technology or they do and we forget or I forget. So every time, no matter what it is, I will do it wrong. If it has the ability, I'll slide it, and they'll say, please insert it. If I insert it, they'll say, oh, no, that's not active. Please slide it. It's a game I don't ever seem to win. But it is, it is a product of another level, another security measure that was instituted last year. I don't understand the technology of it. I'm sure it makes sense. It's, you know, I trust them on it. You know, the, the chips are supposed to make our cards less prone to, to be misused or for the information to be stolen and how that works, I don't know, but, but hopefully it does. Maybe that's what it comes down to. But it, it, it reminds me of just, it's just another example of the layers of security that are all around us that we probably don't even pay much attention to anymore. It's just the, kind of the, the, the reality at which we live. Every time you go to an ATM machine, you know you're on camera. They're videotaping that. That's, that's a, a level of security uh, on, our, on our telephones now. Uh, our telephones, how, on our phones, on our cell phones. You know, it used to be when we first got them, they flipped open and they just were live and you dialed your number and you used them. And then security gets introduced. And so you have PIN numbers or you have patterns that you trace in order to open your cell phone or open your, your tablets. But then the next layer came out and many of them are now fingerprint activated. In fact, my, my tablet is fingerprint activated. Uh, it's an Apple product. So I just put my, my finger on it, open it comes. And now the newest level, if you've seen this, with some of the Samsung phones, iris scanners. So you just look at it, and it reads your eyes. Next thing you know, they're just going to implant a chip in our brain. And you just think, open, and boom, there's going to be. But it's, it's security. It's meant to say that, hey, there may be information that you want to keep private. You don't want falling into the wrong hands. I get alerts every once in a while on my cell phone. It says, 
you know, for security reasons, you may want to or you need to erase your call history. And I'm thinking, who cares what my call history is? What, that, that would be the most boring thing ever. But I guess somebody out there has some value in the things that we do, the phone calls we make, our information. Layers and layers of protection. Our homes have, uh, a lot of them have security systems. Our church does. Last night, 11 o'clock at night, because it only happens on a Saturday, cell phone rings. The alarm system was going off at the church. Now, I pretty much knew what it was. It was that terrible lightning storm we were getting. Rattled the window, and it triggered the alarm. But you don't know for sure. So I called Tony. (laughs) I'm not kidding. She was out with Cassie after the the, uh, the, the, the production of 42nd Street, and they were at Chili's, and I said, hey, Tony, on the way home, drive through the church parking lot, see if everything looks okay. Uh, I'm a hero, so uh, I did tell her, if anything looks wrong, don't mess with it, just come tell me, and I call the cops. So, uh, but, uh, but, but layers, of her, nowadays they've got this, tech, you know, cameras and things where every time somebody rings your doorbell, you get alert on your phone. You know, again, it's just layers and layers of security. We did, Ryan and I sat down yesterday and we started our first federal aid application for um, money for college next year. Oh, ain't that fun. And, um, and we had to make PIN numbers and security passwords and answer private questions that only we would know the answers to and put in cell numbers so we could get things texted to us. I mean, just layer and layer of trying to protect information because we, we live in a, in a world where people constantly want to get their hands on important things about us to misuse or, or steal our assets or our resources. So we have to guard these things. And, and that's what I started to think about. It's, it's the way that we guard and, and kind of protect the things that, that matter to us or that are important to us or, or that we need. And, and so that becomes the mentality. And that's, that's when, I, when I read the, the text, the, the focal verse this morning, the focal verse that I kind of zeroed in on of this letter in 2 Timothy was the very last one I read, verse 14. Guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. That's Paul's words to Timothy. Now, some of the versions of our Bibles, maybe your Bible, says guard the good treasure. Guard the good treasure that was entrusted to you. So I hear this word guard, and that's kind of the mentality I start to think. How do we guard something? We protect it. We, we protect it. And I hear these words, guard the good treasure. Now the good treasure, if you put this in the context of the verse, what Paul's talking about to Timothy is the faith that is your Christian faith. These truths of who Jesus Christ is, his life and death and his resurrection, the call to holiness and holy living. These are the, the good treasures that have been imparted to you. So in much the same way that I think of the, the earthly treasures that we protect, he says guard it. And that's the mentality, that's the way my thinking starts to go then I've got to wrestle with that in the context of the Gospels. I've got to wrestle with that in the context of what Paul writes in, in the, the entire letter of 2 Timothy. I've got to wrestle with that in context of the example of Jesus. Is that what it means to guard the good treasure, to protect it? The, the image I have, and I keep, kind of keep doing this, right? This week, my sister-in-law, Judy, uh, put a, a video on Facebook of, of my nephew, Aiden. Aiden's not quite two yet, a few months away from being two. And um, Aiden has become attached to his blanket. Aiden now has a blanket, kid after my own heart. And, um, 
and he put this, she put this video on of, of my brother, his dad, um, David, and he's talking to Aiden. And he's like, Aiden, can I, can I hold your blanket? And Aiden grabs it close and he turns his body. Mine. It's mine. And David kind of tugs on it. Can I, can I have it? Mine. And then after the third time, Aiden just walks away. Just no, you know. And it's this, this idea that, that we gotta, he's got to guard that. That's his treasure. That blanket's his treasure. So Paul says, guard the treasure. And, and it would be easy to fall into the trap of thinking that way. We've got to kind of protect this faith because it does feel like we're under attack all over the place, doesn't it? That the world seems to be trying to undermine our faith. And, and the society that once valued and respected our faith is, is chipping away at, at our values and our freedoms and the things that are important to us. And I'm not diminishing any of that. I'm not saying that in some levels that's not true because it is. But that's not what Paul means when he says guard the faith. It's not a bunker mentality. Right? I mean, in a bunker mentality, the storms come, the, the, um, the bombs come, the threats come, and you hunker down and you get in a safe place and you get secluded. It's a retreat mentality. That's not the gospel. Jesus never calls us to a retreat mentality. Certainly, we do need to guard our hearts from the things that would undermine our faith, that would weaken our stability in Christ. But the example of, of the gospel, of the treasure of, of living Christian faith, is engagement. We're called to engage. So, so what is Paul talking about when he talks about guard the good treasure? How do we guard? Or there's another way to understand that Greek word for guard, and that's to keep. How do we keep the treasure? Because when I, when I read the, the, the New International Version of the Bible, which, which you saw on the screens, which I read from this morning, it talks about a deposit. And I started to think about the parable Jesus teaches in Matthew 25 because he talks about a deposit. He uses a parable about a deposit that's made by a, a, a rich man. And he leaves a deposit in the hands of his servants, his employees, if you will. He goes away. Maybe you remember the story. And it says, to one of his servants, he gave five talents, measures of, of wealth, five talents. To another, he gave two. To another, he gave one. And if you remember how the story goes, this is a deposit. And the one who has five goes out and invests it. He risks it. And when his master returns, he gives him twice his money. He returns ten talents. And the master says, well done, good and faithful servant. And the second one who had two does the same. And he invests it and becomes four. And again, the master commends him, well done, good and faithful servant. But the one who had one, what does he do? Mine. He hides it. He protects it. He keeps it safe. From the threats of the, the world around, of no risk, no challenge, no, no danger. And he returns the coin to his master. He gives him exactly what he had because he protected it. And he is condemned as unfaithful because he did not engage. He didn't use what had been entrusted to him. So certainly if we understand that parable, we understand Jesus never tells us to kind of into this retreat mentality but rather to engage. How do we begin to guard the good treasure? How do we keep the treasure, the deposit that was given to us? And there's a long list of the ways that we can do this, but I want to pull two. I want to just pull two out of the text. And the first is this. We share our faith. We share our faith. We risk. We risk we risk those who would tell us to be quiet. We risk those who don't want to hear it. No, no, we don't shove it down people's throats. Understand, we don't, we don't club people over the head with the Bible. But we're willing to invest and to share 
our faith with others. We're willing to teach. Now, certainly the example that we get of that, the thing we tend to think of, is those who stand in front of groups of people and lead Bible studies and teach and, and impart knowledge. And that is certainly a way that some are called to do it. But not everybody is. That's an important way that we share our faith. But that's not the way that everybody's called. That may not be your gift. But actually, I think that even the most powerful way that we share our faith is in the one-on-one relationships that God places before us. We share our faith with the next generation, with those who come behind us. Children's ministry, we stress over and over again because we know how important it is to share our faith, to instill the values of faith and the love of Christ in the lives of our children because we know that statistics tell us that by the time that they are 18, if they have not made a commitment for Christ, the odds are that they never will. And we are struggling with losing a generation. And it's not just because we don't have good enough Sunday school programs. It's because we have to be intentional as parents and grandparents, as the family of God, whether you have biological children or you just have the children that are part of our family here, as we affirm every time we do baptism. But we must share the faith. We must instill the values and the love of Christ in their lives. I will tell you, the ministry I'm called to before you and with you and connected to you is one of the great joys of my life most of the time. Um, But there's no ministry more important. There's no platform more important than the one I have every time I walk in my door at home and before Ryan and before Cassidy and with Tony. And I'm, you know, make more mistakes in that than I wish to admit. But the most important ministry I have are to my children, are to my children, and, and really young adults now, I guess I shouldn't call them children, sorry, um, but, but to instill that faith and, and to do my best, in spite of myself, to, to live that before them. That's, that's our call. We're called to share our faith. We're called to instill that. I want you to hear what Paul says. Um, one of the verses that I, that I didn't read but it's verse 5. When he's talking to Timothy, I am reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I am now persuaded lives also in you. See that? Generational mother to, to, to grandmother to mother, now to Timothy, the way that the faith has been shared and passed down into the next generation. That is of vital importance. But it's not the only way. I mean, maybe, you know, as I said, not everybody's called. You know, you may not have the gifts. It may not be your call to to be in ministry to kids, and that's okay. But you're called to be in ministry. You're called, maybe it's with a neighbor. Maybe it's with a family member. Maybe it's with somebody you work with. But one person in your life that God is calling you to invest your life in, to share your story with, because that's the other part of what it means to share your faith, is this. It's to share your story to share your testimony. 1 Peter chapter 3 says that be prepared at all times to give an account, to give a defense of the reason for your hope in Christ, for your faith. And then it goes on to say, do it with gentleness and respect. I want you to hear that. That's really, really important. Gentleness and respect. It's not forcing your story upon someone else, but a willingness to share it. 
to share your testimony. A lot of people hear that and it kind of, they recoil. I don't know what my testimony is. What is it about Jesus that's made a difference in your life? What is it about Jesus that you believe, as I heard some, one person say, that the world can't live without? That's your story. It doesn't have to be elaborate. It doesn't have to be, they, they used to work on, and maybe you've heard this before, they used to call them something like elevator testimonies. Your ability to share the synopsis of your story, of your testimony, on an elevator ride from the 10th floor to the first. You know, just in a matter of minutes. But what is it about your story? Mine, and I'm not going to get into it because it would be a whole other sermon, but it focuses on the word hope. On the, on, on, on the truth that Christ gives a hope and a deliverance and a strength and a, works his purpose through our lives. And I've seen that lived out in mine. And if we were sharing my story, that's what you'd hear. You wouldn't hear a sermon in the sense of I wouldn't spit out doctrinal points and truths of theology. I would just tell you what Jesus has done for me. What's Jesus done for you? That's your story because I promise you when you have it, God will open the doors for you to share it, to tell it, to live it. We are called to share. What does it mean to guard the faith, to guard the treasure? Lay it out there. Lay it out there. Live it and share it. That's what Paul exemplifies. That's what the apostles exemplified. That's what we're called to exemplify. And in fact, that one-on-one is exactly what Paul did. Paul wasn't Timothy's father or grandfather. He was connected with him. And he invested in him. And he lived and shared his story. So, we share our faith. That's how we guard. But here's the other thing. We depend upon the Holy Spirit. We rest and depend upon the Holy Spirit. Here's the very last verse again that I read. Guard the good deposit which was entrusted to you. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit that lives in us. Going back to verse 7. For the spirit God gives us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. The spirit God gives us does not make us timid, does not make us fearful. Brothers and sisters, we've got to stop being afraid. I'm not saying that we shouldn't be engaged, but you know what? Hear me say this. In November, whoever's elected president, Jesus is still on the throne. Okay? Okay? It'll be okay. It'll be okay. I'm not saying don't be engaged. I'm not saying don't work hard for what you believe in. Uh, None of that. But I'm saying don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. The church was born in a time when the empire wanted to stamp it out and they couldn't do it. What are we afraid of? Don't be timid. And stop making your kids timid. Stop raising them in fear. But we trust Remember when Jesus came into the city of Jerusalem and the crowds cried out, Hosanna, and the Pharisees said, make them be quiet. And Jesus said, you know what? If you quiet them, the rocks will cry out. The purpose of God will be fulfilled. The plan of God will come to fruition. So what do we do? We engage the world, not with the spirit of timidity, but with power and love. Love, that comes up a lot, doesn't it? And self-discipline. That's what the Holy Spirit does through us and becomes part of the the fruits of the Spirit, if you will, that mark our life. Power, God's power. Love, Christ's love. Self-discipline, to be focused on the things that Christ has called us to and let the other stuff slough off, fall to the side. But that's what it means to guard our hearts. It's not mine. It's not don't touch. It's not let's retreat into the safety net of of a small circle. 
but step out beyond those lines. Step out into even a hostile world to share his love, to proclaim his truth with gentleness, with respect, but with power and with love and with self-discipline. Guard your heart, but do not hide your faith. Amen? Let's pray. Gracious Lord, thank you for your word, for your truth, for the challenge of our lives. May we be found faithful to the call upon Christ and to the guarding of the treasure which you've placed within us. We pray in Christ Jesus. Amen and amen.